This, this to us is something that we're not going to give up on because we're not going to give up on destroying the healthcare system for the American people. Wait, wait, what did he just say? I don't think he meant that, did he? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Maybe he did mean that. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, Paul Ryan. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica the Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. Every day on the intertubes on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today for what is once again a thrilling adventure that we call the bradcast uh boy oh boy uh, a lot coming up today a lot happening today uh including desi doyan and the green news report des you'll be with us a little bit later oh yeah unless things keep changing as they (laughs) have over the past hour or two uh, well, so we'll have that. And yes, the uh, the Keystone XL pipeline that we warned you yesterday on the broadcast was likely to be approved by the White House any day now. It has now been approved. We'll talk about that uh, and more as time allows. But what a news day. We have to start here. Uh, Gideon Resnick of Daily Beast last night had uh, had tweeted Quote, the president with a 37 percent approval rating is forcing a vote on a bill with a 17 percent approval rating. Yeah, you kind of had an idea going into uh, Friday that things were not going to go well. And as it turns out, they did not. As AP notes today in a humiliating setback, President Donald Trump and GOP leaders pulled their Obamacare repeal bill off the House floor Friday after it became clear the measure would fail badly. They write it was a stunning defeat for the new president after he had demanded House Republicans vote on the legislation Friday. He had demanded it, threatening otherwise to leave Obamacare in place and move on to other issues if the vote failed. Well, the bill was withdrawn just minutes before the vote was set to occur on Friday. The president's gamble failed, writes AP. Instead, Trump, who campaigned as a master dealmaker and claimed that he alone could fix the nation's health care system, saw his ultimatum rejected by Republican lawmakers who made clear they answer to their own voters, not to the president. 
Just minutes uh, before air here today, Donald Trump uh, had a, well, let's call it a short press conference in the Oval Office in which he uh, in which he, oh, I guess, blamed Democrats somehow for this whole thing failing and uh, answered a few questions from reporters. Let's play that uh, that audio from that press conference and then we'll uh, get to our guest and try to figure out what the hell all of this means. Perhaps the best thing that could happen is exactly what happened today because we'll end up with a truly great health care bill in the future after this mess known as Obamacare explodes. So we all learned a lot. We learned a lot about loyalty. We learned a lot about uh, the vote-getting process. We learned a lot about some very arcane rules in, obviously, both the Senate and in the House. Uh, so it's been, certainly for me, it's been a very interesting experience. But in the end, I think it's going to be an experience that leads to an even better health care plan. Now your intention to go for tax reform, or what's next on your priority? We'll be going right now for tax reform, which we could have done earlier, but this really would have worked out better if we could have had some Democrat support. Remember this, we had no Democrat support. So now we're going to go for tax reform, which I've always liked. Are you confident in Speaker Ryan's leadership and his ability to get things done? Yes, I am. I like Speaker Ryan. He worked very, very hard. A lot of different groups. He's got a lot of factions. And there's been a long history of liking and disliking, even within the Republican Party, long before I got here. But I've had a great relationship with the Republican Party. It seems that both sides like Trump, and that's good. And you see that, I guess, more clearly than anybody. Well, it's going to happen. There's not much you can do about it. Uh, it's going to bad things are going to happen to Obamacare. There's not much you can do to help it. Uh, I've been saying that for a year and a half. I said, look, eventually, it's not sustainable. But the one thing that was happening as we got closer and closer, everybody was talking about how wonderful it was, and now it will go back to real life. People will see how bad it is, and it's getting much worse. 17 is going to be a very, very bad year for Obamacare. Very, very bad. You're going to have explosive premium increases. And your deductibles are so high, people don't even get to use it. So they'll go with that for a little while. And I honestly believe, I know some of the Democrats, and they're good people. I honestly believe the Democrats will come to us and say, look, let's get together and get a great health care bill or plan that's really great for the people of our country. And I think that's going to happen. You could have passed a bill in the House without any Democratic support. Why do you think you weren't able to craft a deal among the Republican Party? Well, we were very close. We were just probably anywhere from 10 to 15 votes short. Could have even been closer than that. You'll never know because you never know how they vote. But in the end, I think we would have been 10 votes, maybe closer. But when you get no votes from the other side, meaning the Democrats, it's really a difficult situation. Will you reach out to Democrats now? No, I think we have to let Obamacare go its way for a little while, and we'll see how things go. I'd love to see it do well, but it can't. I mean, it can't. It's not a question of, gee, I hope it does well. I would love it to do well. I want great health care for the people of this nation. But it can't do well. It's imploding, and soon will explode. And it's not going to be pretty. So the Democrats don't want to see that. So they're going to reach out when they're ready. And whenever they're ready, we're ready. Do you feel betrayed by the House Freedom Caucus at all? They seem to be the, the most difficult. No, I'm not betrayed. They're friends of mine. I'm disappointed because we could have had it. 
Uh, so I'm disappointed. I'm a little surprised, to be honest with you. Uh, we really had it. It was pretty much there, within grasp. But I'll tell you what's going to come out of it is a better bill. I really believe a better bill. Because there were things in this bill I didn't particularly love. And I think it's a better bill. You know, both parties can get together and do real health care. That's the best thing. Obamacare was rammed down everyone's throat. 100% Democrat. And I think having bipartisan would be a big, big improvement. So, uh, no, I, I think that this is going to end up being a very good thing. Uh, I'm disappointed, but they're friends of mine. And, and, you know, they got on. It was a very hard time for them uh, and a very hard vote. And if we had bipartisan, I really think we could have a health care bill that would be the ultimate. And I think the Democrats know that also. And someday in the not-too-distant future, That'll happen. And I never said, I guess I'm here, what, 64 days? I never said repeal and re replace Obamacare. You've all heard my speeches. I never said repeal it and replace it within 64 days. I have a long time. But I want to have a great health care bill and plan, and we will. It will happen. And it won't be in the very distant future. I really believe there'll be some Democrat support, and that'll happen. And it will be an even better bill. I think this was a very good bill. I think it will be even better the next time around. And I don't think that's going to be in too long a period of time. Anything specifically you want to see change going from this bill to the next? No, I mean, I don't want to speak about specifics. But there are things I could have, I would have liked even more. But I thought overall this was a very, very good bill. And I thought Tom Price, Dr. Tom Price, who, who really is amazing on health care and his knowledge, uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. Same with Mike Pence. I think these two guys, they work so hard and really did a fantastic job. That was Donald Trump just moments ago in the Oval Office, uh, hoping, uh, calling the uh, affordable, well, no, the American Health Care Act uh, a really good bill. The bill that uh, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office found would, uh, would result in some 24 million Americans, 24 million Americans, less million Americans having health care uh, over the next 10 years, calling that a, a pretty good bill uh, and making the best out of what is now clearly a stinging defeat uh, for the uh, for the president and for the Republicans who have been spending seven, seven and a half years promising to repeal and replace Obamacare. That effort for now apparently is dead. Joining us now to uh, make sense of what the hell is going on uh, today, longtime journalist, former CNN and current TV reporter Jackie Schechner. She also worked in D.C. as the National Communications Director for Health Care for America Now, the nation's largest health care reform campaign, uh, particularly during the 2009-2010 period when the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, was passed. Jackie Schechner, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm just exhausted from all the winning. Uh, so, you know, I, <laughs> yes. I, need a, I need a moment to catch my breath. All this Trump winning is just uh, Jackie, are, too are, much. Are, are, you, <laughs> are, you, are you gloating? Are you taking a victory lap there, Jackie? It sounds like... You I, know, yeah, go ahead. I know I was going to say I'm not gloating because I wouldn't put it past the Republicans to come up with some alternate shady plan, but I do feel like we got a little stay of execution today, and that part feels good. 
Yeah, I, I know. Listen, I know you had always preferred. We've talked to, uh, with you many times over the years about uh, health care, health care reform, Obamacare and so forth. I know you've always said you prefer uh, preferred a, a single payer uh, Medicare for all type of a system. But but short of that, you know, you helped to see the Affordable Care Act get passed back in uh, uh, 2010. Are you got to be breathing a sigh of relief uh, today after after these crazy two weeks when the Republicans have been trying to jam their plan down the down the Congress and down the throat of the American people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm relieved. Let me just correct real real quickly. I, I, the more I learn about health care policy, the more I recognize that a single-payer type plan actually would be beneficial to us. I'm also in favor of adding a public option into the mix, mm-hmm. knowing that politically it may be difficult to get a single-payer plan. Uh, through Congress and the way our political system works. I just want to clarify a little bit that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much a realist when it comes to what I think can be done politically. Um, but, yeah, look, the Affordable Care Act has a lot of problems. Nobody uh, who supports it will say that it's perfect. Nobody believes that, including President Obama. Um, so the, the idea here would be to find a system that works uh, and improves upon what we've done with the Affordable Care Act. We, we always said that we opened the door more change down the line. Nobody said that we were, this was a done deal. But what the Republicans were trying to do and put forward didn't do anything good, right? It didn't expand coverage. It didn't lower costs. It didn't improve benefits or care. Like There was nothing good in that other than rolling back taxes for people who already make an obscene amount of money in corporations. So uh, this bill was not just detrimental uh, to the health care uh, or to the Affordable Care Act itself. It was just detrimental to to us as a society in the realm of healthcare. Um, you, you heard uh, Trump talking there about uh, that. Oh, there's nothing that we can do now. We've just got to wait for Obamacare to explode. Uh, not much you can do to help it, really. Uh, really, is that true? I mean, no, uh, there no, are things. Not in the slightest. There are plenty of things that we can do. We what? can talk about yeah. uh, putting more regulations in place that control. Uh, the insurance industry. We can add a public option into the mix. Uh, we can talk about uh, helping uh, to supplement any of this uh, cost that the insurance industry says it's it's incurring based on covering more people. We can in- make incentives for insurers to stay within the exchanges. We can do better advertising so people understand what exactly the Affordable Care Act does. I mean, there's there's a lot that can be done if they were actually interested in improving our health care system. I think it's incredibly traitorous for the president of the United States to say, well, all we can do now is just wait for stuff to fail. Right. I mean, are you supposed to work for the benefit of the people of the country? Yeah, you would think you're supposed to. But it, it, what's clear, uh, and it was clear a couple of weeks ago when when uh, Trump said something like, uh, boy, who knew that uh, health care was so complicated? No one knew. Well, yeah, people do know people that do follow this policy. They certainly knew. Um, but one of the things that I'm sure he doesn't understand in the least is uh, w- one of the reasons, one of the things that he was talking about uh, in his press conference is the fact that, uh, you know, in some states there's only one insurer. There's no competition at all. There's one insurer. Uh, that's also the case in many counties around the country. Um, I think he said something, health insurance uh, insurance providers are leaving states and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, isn't that uh, Jackie Schechner, Schechner due in no small part uh, because of Republicans led by Marco Rubio a year or so after they had passed 
uh, the Affordable Care Act, they snuck in the repeal of one piece of the Affordable Care Act that was really important. That was those so-called risk corridors. They they snuck this into a must-pass uh, budget bill. Uh, are, are you able to explain what risk corridors are? Because I know they're kind of complicated. I suspect it's something that Donald Trump didn't understand at all. But it seems to me that is one of the reasons why there is uh, as little... Uh, uh, competition in some of those uh, some of those states and some of those counties that has allowed the premiums to rise. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest way to explain it without getting too technical is to say that when you tell insurance providers that they need to cover everybody, that they can no longer exclude people with pre-existing conditions, there was baked into the bill some money to help them get through the transition period. The idea was if you're going to to now have them cover people who before couldn't get coverage, the, the prices are going to go up, right? The, the insurance industry is going to have to spend more money on actual health care. Uh, so there was some, some, baked in, uh, some baked in money to help offset that. And the Republicans went ahead and, and advocated pulling that money so that it would almost guarantee that the insurance industry would, would have some difficulty covering that cost. Now, I say all this. Yeah. In, a, in a guarded way, because the insurance companies are making money, they, they, they make profits, that's mm-hmm. what they do, they're a for-profit industry, and the CEOs certainly aren't suffering with the millions of dollars that they make, the shareholders are making a profit, so it's not like they're losing money or going bankrupt, it's, it's that there was money to kind of help ease the pain of the transition, and Republicans did what they could to try to undermine that. And uh, But so some of... Some of them were losing money. There were these uh, small collectives uh, that that people had put... The co-ops. The co-ops, yeah, that people had put together around the country to try to offer uh, affordable health care. Some of them did have to go out of business, and some of them uh, would have been, as I understand it, reimbursed by that money uh, in those so-called risk corridors that Republicans ended up killing. As a matter of fact, I think there was a... Um, a, a court case a week or so ago in which it was found that one of those companies uh, was due a whole bunch of money, uh, you know, was promised that money by mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act, uh, and they didn't get it because the Republicans changed the law, and the court said, no, you guys are still owed this money because this was a promise the government made to you. So I do think that... That was probably uh, and and still remains, uh, you know, a big problem for uh, these companies in areas, in rural areas where health care is much more expensive. And they end up losing money in those areas because the Republicans undermined this bill. Right. But it's also important to understand that the insurance industry monopolies existed long before the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. There are, there are not the same regulations in the health insurance industry that there are in others. The antitrust rules don't apply. There's a, a long-standing exemption um, that they, they're not subject to uh, antitrust legislation the way mm-hmm. other industries are. And so these monopolies have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. We were fighting for the Affordable Care Act. It was, it was a reason we argued for health care reform is because these companies, these large companies, there's just a, a handful of these large providers, now, or these companies, rather, that, that network and, and contract with providers. The problem with these co-ops that just started up, and this is where these, these large insurance companies have control, is that they build these networks of doctors and hospitals, and they have more money to play with, 
and they have ways to put together larger networks of doctors and hospitals. They, they operate in bulk. So when you're a small co-op uh, or a small collective that's just starting out, you're going to have those growing pains of trying to compete uh, with the large insurers. So I think the problem was multifaceted. It's they didn't have the money to sustain up against a system that's entrenched in monopolies from the beginning. The Affordable Care Act is not the reason why there's one or two insurers in states and counties. The, the antitrust regulations, the lack of those, is part of the reason why these health insurance, these giant health insurance companies, have been allowed to gobble up and monopolize business in almost every state in the country. I, I, I want to talk about the political side of some of this, because uh, Trump was blaming Democrats, I guess, presumably because... <laughs> well, what's, what's, what's your thought? Why is he blaming Democrats? How, how is this their fault as he sees it? I have, I have no idea. When you can't get 15, 10 to 15 votes in the House on your own bill, I don't understand why it's... The, they have a majority. They have a majority in the House, they have a majority in the Senate, and they have the White House. They can't get it done. It's the Democrats' fault? Come on. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And, and frankly, you know, it, it's a huge political loss for them. I'm super glad because the policy's better without the, the piece of, of garbage that they were trying to pass through. But if you're going to talk pure politics, I mean, this is a loss is a loss is a loss. There's no other way to, to define it. Trump's done nothing to reach out to the Democrats. The Republican Party's done nothing to reach out and work with Democrats over the past you know, eight years. It was all about hating the black man in the White House. They, they had no actual forward-thinking agenda. And that Paul Ryan said it today. I mean, he didn't mince any words. He said, we've been an opposition party for 10 years, and now for three months we've had to figure out how to be a governing party, and we haven't figured that out yet. They had no plan coming into office, and, and he admitted as such. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think we should also point out that back when um, the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, I, I believe it was done without a single vote in the Senate or the House. Am I, I uh, am I right about that? Without a single Republican vote in either of those bodies, it was all Democrats at that time. Yeah, Do and I and it's okay because the, the to me, you know, President Obama and the Democrats reached out to some of us to a fault to try to get Republicans on board. Um, they they tried to make concessions. They held listening sessions and hearings and. I remember a, a, a day-long summit. I mean, to say that, that what was in the works for over a year, year and a half, uh, to try to get some sort of bipartisan solution in place, uh, you know, it, it, it was done the best way it could be done, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Well, and then, this, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say the thing that went down, this American Health Care Act, uh, was literally voted on in the middle of the night, literally at 4.30 in the morning, there were changes being made up until the very last minute that nobody knew what they were. There was conversation about potential side deals. I mean, they they were accusing, they were doing everything that they had accused, falsely accused the Democrats of doing. I mean, it was the most blatant example of projection I've seen in a long time. Exactly. And that's one of the things I wanted to get to. What, what, you know, one point was, well, A, they were able to get this Huge bill, love it or hate it, Democrats were able to get it passed, and they had slimmer margins, uh, at least in, in the House, than, uh, than certainly Republicans did here in the House. But they were able to, to, to get it passed. Um, but uh, David Kurtz over at Talking Points Memo uh, points out that it is one of the starker ironies that virtually everything Republicans ever falsely accused Democrats of doing 
to jam the ACA through is now actually happening, or I guess was actually happening. He was talking about, among other things, the, the Republicans were attempting to ram this thing through for a vote today after making changes literally overnight. It was not scored by the Congressional Budget Office. But they talk, you know, they have been talking for the past seven years how this bill and, and Trump was doing it again, how this, you know, Obamacare was rammed down the throat of the American people, rammed through Congress. Well, their bill that failed on Friday the Republican bill um, was literally introduced two weeks ago during the Affordable Care Act. That process, you worked on it at the time, Jackie Schechner. Didn't that go on for like 14 months and hundreds of committee hearings and hundreds of concessions to Republicans in those committee hearings? How, how can they say, am I remembering that correctly? Isn't it impossible to say that bill was actually rammed through uh, rammed through Congress? Yeah, I mean, we we had a problem with letting uh, some members of, of Congress, some senators, take too long of time trying to mm-hmm. tend to maneuver with the Affordable Care Act. Max Baucus, in particular, I mean, mm. we we used to laugh that you know he he wanted to be friends with Grassley so badly that he kept bending over backwards to try to make him happy, and we we let him continue to do it. I mean, not us, but the Democrats. It was give him time, like he'll come around. There was so much effort done to try to get some sort of bipartisan buy-in. And no matter what was being done, it, it, it couldn't happen. So, we, you know, there was a lot of stalling and a lot of, um, to, not even intentional stalling, but like taking the time to try to walk through this process on any kind of bipartisan basis back when we were working on the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, this is... This was this was so fast, and and I just have to point out I don't I don't know if you caught it in the in the Trump uh, little press availability there, yeah. Um, and I don't I don't know if you had this I don't remember if you had this little piece, but reporters asked him. He said there were things in the bill he didn't like. Twice on two separate occasions, reporters said, "What exactly didn't you like?" And he couldn't do it because he didn't read it. He didn't know what was in it. He had no idea what this bill was about. He doesn't understand health care policy, and he doesn't care to understand health care policy. So he couldn't name one specific thing that he didn't like in the AHCA, uh, and I would guarantee you he had no idea what was in it. Uh, well, let me play, uh, going back for one quick moment here to the myths. Uh, this is uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, from 2010, and it's something that these Republicans ever since have gone over and over again, citing, uh, take it, and it was very much taken out of context. I'm going to take this clip, I think, still out of context here, uh, because one of them said something today that was, was kind of remarkable. So here is uh, Nancy Pelosi in 2010. Jackie, I'll let you explain the context of this, sure. and, and then we'll play the other piece. Go ahead. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it away from the fog of the controversy. Now, what that became shorthanded by Republicans is we can't show you the bill. We can't let you have time to read the bill. Uh, We just have to pass it and then you'll find out what's in it. That's how they Mm -hmm. described what she was saying there. What was she actually saying at the time back in 2010? What she was saying is that there was so much misinformation and so much uh, political rhetoric surrounding the policy that once the bill is out there and people in the public can see it without all of the misinformation swirling around it, they're going to really like it. Like, they have to get it out of this fog of misinformation for people to truly understand what was in it. 
but it's a longer clip. And what happened, I, I went and did mm-hmm. a piece on it. I, I've got to resurrect this on my blog um, and find the original clip again. But what it was was a long speech she was giving, and every time it was replicated on YouTube, it mm-hmm. was taken, what you just played was what was taken. And, and it was continually perpetuated out of context. But if you go back and you watch the clip, the longer piece explains, it goes back and says there's so much misinformation about this and it's so being mischaracterized, the bill in its entirety, that once it gets out of all this muck and people see what's in it, they'll super appreciate that it's going to do a lot of really good things for them. And that was the context of the larger clip. But the the misinformation, the, the clip that was taken out of context, was repeated over and over again. It had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. Right. And that became that became the talking point, that nobody read it. We have to pass it to see what's in it. And that's not true. That's not what she said. It's not what she meant. Um, and it's, it's certainly not the context of the original clip. And yet... So nobody bothered to go back and look at it. And, and yet, Chris Collins, a Republican from New York, who I think was uh, supporting... Uh, the AHCA, uh, had this to say on MSNBC on Friday. In my district, uh, right now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is we're doing. And once we get it done, and then we can have the chance to really explain it. So he was... My imagination, or is he actually saying what it was that they had accused, uh, falsely accused Nancy Pelosi of saying seven years ago? No, he's exactly saying that. And, and the, the comical part behind that is what were they planning to explain? Because the bill they were trying to pass, again, didn't expand coverage. It didn't make benefits better. It didn't have any cost controls. It didn't ensure that premiums and deductibles were going to go down. It didn't protect consumers. From what I understand, the last-minute changes stripped the essential health benefits. So they were going to go out to their constituents and explain that they basically blew up the American health care system for a political win and have nothing to show for it. So if they want to wait to explain it, they would have actually had to explain what the carnage was to come. So that, that wasn't a, a net positive for them anyway. I want to. Uh, I got. I'm running late here, but I want to get one more thought from you, uh, Jackie Schechner and and Desi Doyen. You can ring in on this one too. Um, what what does it say? Uh, about Paul Ryan, uh, particularly moving forward, uh, that he was willing to do Trump's bidding here by putting this thing up for a vote on Friday. They knew they did not have the votes for passage. They knew that last night. Uh, They knew it today. And yet Trump insisted. He said at at some point uh, yesterday, you know, get this done, put put this up for a vote and we'll be done with it. And if if you don't do it, then you're going to be stuck with Obamacare. And instead of Paul Ryan saying, no, sir, we don't have the votes. We're not going to put this up and humiliate ourselves. uh, He said, "Okay, we'll do it. Um, And then, you know, they were either going to go down to a humiliating loss, loss if they actually held votes uh, or they were going to have to have this humiliating moment where they pull the bill at the last second, uh, at the same minute it's uh, essentially scheduled to uh, to vote to, to you know to go to go up for a vote. What does that say about Paul Ryan? Can we make anything of that and uh, his acquiescence there to Donald Trump uh, moving forward? I don't know because it's not clear who made the call. I mean, if I had to guess, I think Trump doesn't understand how any of this works. 
I think he said get it done the way that the businessman in the gold tower says just get it done. He doesn't really care how the sausage is made. He just wants to eat sausage. And I think Ryan at the last minute went in and said, listen, this is going to look terrible for you. It's going to look terrible for us. We need to pull this. And then Trump said, okay, but I'm going to take credit for pulling it. I mean, I think if I had to guess, I think that's what went down. I don't think Trump said pull it. I think Ryan said we have to pull it. He spoke with whoever is actually pulling the strings, and they said, fine, do it, but give Trump credit. So I, I don't know what it says about Ryan other than uh, he's, he's – I don't even know. I mean, that's a, it's, it's a tough thing to say about where we go from here, um, but Ryan's trying to save face, and I think Trump is as well. He, Ryan could have told him this last night. We don't have the votes, but he didn't. Right, and I think that I part of well, a part of it is I think that also Ryan is uh, is an empty suit on all of this. He's basically a front for here. This is what a politician who pretends to care about morals t- talks about and looks like. But then we find out that he doesn't actually have any of these morals, and he's really just about the tax cut. Because when you actually listen to what any of the Republicans say after they demagogue about what's in or not in the bill that they just pulled, then they talk about the importance of tax cuts. Chris Collins last uh, in that. In that clip on MSNBC right after that he says but what people aren't hearing is how important these tax cuts are going to be we're really really hoping to deliver tax cuts <laughs> uh yeah I, I think you got it right they can't wait that was the first thing they uh Trump was talking about in the presser moving on to uh cutting taxes um well Another failure, it seems, in, uh, I mean, you know, on his travel ban, on his health care bill. One failure after another, uh, uh, Jackie Schechner. So um, where do we go from here? I have no idea. Does anybody know where we go from here? Well, yeah, I you know what? I would, like, I would like to go from here to focus more on what's going on with Russia, because I honestly think the FBI doesn't make public that it's investigating the president of the United States and his team for potential you know, potentially treasonous activities without there being some there there. And so I, I really think that we continue, I think it's important to continue to put the focus on whatever's going on there. Um, uh, so and, and they can continue to try to pass whatever agenda items they want, but I think that's the most important story. Well, I have. I actually have a question for you, Jackie. I mean, does this mean that Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, continues until further notice? Yeah, but I, I think the problem is now we have to look out for... Uh, any any uh, Republican effort to try to sabotage it. Okay. I think the problem now, I mean, I'm, I'm happy it lives, um, but it's got to live with the cooperation of Republican members of Congress and governors and legislators, okay. legislatures uh, actually continuing the work to, to support it. And I think that if they try to sabotage it, um, we're going to have some problems. So the, the states, mostly at the state level, it's going to be an effort to try to, to keep it intact and keep it working. And, and that, I, that's going to be the important work now. And I have to uh, live with the tyranny of the radio clock here. i got to get out. <laughs> I'm already running late. Jackie Schechner, uh, thanks for joining us uh, today to try to make sense of whatever the hell is going on. Uh, you can find her. You f- can find and follow and share her on the Twitters at Jackie Schechner. And you can also find her work at JackieSchechner.com. Uh, thanks, Jackie. We'll talk to you again soon, I suspect. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Okay, quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast. We'll see where we go. Uh, Hope you'll not go away. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay with us. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. They did. They did. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. They almost had it all, Des. <laughs> yes, they, they did. But they couldn't get the votes. They could after all of these years. It's kind of amazing. Uh, AP is out with this fact check. Uh, in response to uh, uh, Trump's uh, presser there in the Oval Office a few minutes ago, uh, they say with the failure Friday of Republican health care legislation, President Donald Trump's campaign promise to replace so-called Obamacare immediately has been broken. That promise stands at odds with his statement that, quote, I never said repeal it and replace it within 64 days. I have a long time. That's what he said in the Oval Office right. there. Uh, but, AP notes, on multiple occasions, Trump said he would get rid of Obama's health care law, quote, very, very quickly. Um, in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, a week before the election, Trump vowed, quote, when we win on November 8th and elect a Republican Congress, we will be able to immediately repeal and replace Obamacare. <laughs> on dozens of occasions, he counted Obamacare among his priorities should he win. Um uh, despite having the majority House Republican leaders failed to win enough support for the replacement legislation to put it to a vote. Um, so Trump said on Friday it won't be in the very distant future before he tries again. I don't think that's going to be in too long a period of time. Though uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan said Obamacare will live on, quote, for the foreseeable future. So um, we will see if this comes back, if they figure out how to bring it back. I suspect they're going to want to move on. One point that um, uh, HuffPost, uh, Huffington Post's Ryan Grimm had uh, uh, said uh, last night via email, he said that uh, as he was reporting this out, that he had asked some of the moderate Republicans what role constituent pressure played in their decision to oppose the bill. And uh, those uh, Republican lawmakers said that it was significant. Oh, good. So uh, Ryan Grimm says, quote, the resistance is working. That's excellent to hear. Uh, I would note, however, that Trump, he never remembers anything that he ever says to anybody. He'll lie from one sentence to the next in the same in the same paragraph. So I doubt that his Trump supporters will have any interest in hearing that he has lied to them and that he's uh, gone back on what he has said to them. They'll probably just say, oh, yeah, that's that's exactly what he said. He said so. You're such a hater, Desi Doyen. <laughs> uh, here's one place where uh, resistance, uh, I don't know if it's working or not because so few people know about this with all with everything that's been going on. Yes, there are other things going on uh, over the past week or two other than uh, the health care bill, other than Democrats' uh, claims about Russia and so forth. This uh, this on Thursday in a 50 to 48 vote along party lines, the U.S. Senate decided to kill FCC rules blocking your ISP, your Internet service provider, from selling your browsing history to the advertising industry without permission. 
Should that same change pass the House, as is expected, the likes of Comcast and Verizon will be able to make money disclosing what you buy, where you browse, and what you search from your own home, all without asking permission, as reported by Sam Biddle over at The Intercept. Um, he writes, uh, in an immediate signal that the vote will only benefit moneyed corporate interests and not the roughly 70 percent of Americans with a home broadband connection, the Internet and Television Association trade group gloated over their congressional victory, saying they appreciated today's Senate action to repeal unwarranted FCC rules that deny consumers consistent privacy protection online and violate competitive neutrality. Our industry remains committed to offering services that protect the privacy and security of the personal information of our customers. We support this step towards reversing the FCC's misguided approach. What? I, yeah, it's completely backwards. This is, this is 1984 Orwell stuff. And we look forward to restoring a consistent approach to online privacy protections that consumers want and deserve. They mean the ones where they get to sell everything that you do without your permission and without telling you that they're selling it to everybody else. That everyone can see where you go and what you look at. It's unclear how the broadband industry could be committed to user privacy, writes Biddle, while backing regulatory changes that would permit the sale of users private data. The Electronic Frontier Foundation decried the vote as putting the ISP profits over your privacy and a potential crushing loss for online privacy. They write, ISPs act as gatekeepers to the Internet, giving them incredible access to records of what you do online. They shouldn't be able to profit off of the information about what you search for, read about, purchase, and more without your consent. Well, they will be able to do that. Uh, without your consent, if this passes in the uh, in the Republican House, unless you start making some noise, you can call your uh, congressman or senator anytime you like at 202-224-3121. Write that number down because you can use it for all sorts of things, whether it's health care, whether it's Internet privacy, whether it's filibustering the uh, the stolen Supreme Court seat that uh, Republicans hope to uh, put Judge Neil Gorsuch into. And uh, as Democrats, as we reported yesterday on the show, we're considering cutting a deal. Some Democrats considering cutting a deal to uh, to not filibuster Neil Gorsuch. Others like uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says he plans to vote against Gorsuch and he plans to uh, force a filibuster there, force the Republicans to come up with 60 votes. So, yes, call your senators, call your House representative. They love to hear from you. The uh, the resistance, the pressure is working, as Ryan Grimm says. Uh, here's one place where it has. Well, it's not working, at least in the uh, State Department and in the White House, but it may work uh, out in the states. President Donald Trump greenlighted the long-delayed Keystone XL pipeline on Friday, declaring it a, quote, great day for American jobs and siding with energy advocates over environmental groups in a heated debate over climate change. AP reports the presidential permit comes nearly a decade after Calgary, uh, Canada-based TransCanada applied to build the $8 billion pipeline, which will snake from Canada through the United States down to the Gulf of Mexico 
and then that dirty tar sands oil will be uh, refined and exported overseas. Trump's State Department said the project advances U.S. national interest. That's a complete reversal of the conclusion that uh, Barack Obama's administration reached less than a year and a half ago. This uh, pipeline will go through, let's see, how many states? Uh, Montana, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma. It will move roughly 800,000 barrels of oil a day. Environmentalists, Native American groups, and landowners who have opposed Keystone expressed outrage. Greenpeace said this was moving backwards on climate and energy policy. Keystone was stopped once before, and it will be stopped again, vowed Annie Leonard, Greenpeace's uh, U.S. director. TransCanada promises as many as 13,000 construction jobs <laughs> for the project. Uh-huh. Trump once predicted it could be 42,000 jobs. Uh, but AP correctly notes the vast majority would be indirect jobs in other industries uh, that would gain from the influx of dollars and construction workers. So the temporary influx of uh, construction workers. Of to, temporary construction yeah. workers. Yeah. That so when they go eat at a restaurant, right? That counts as a job, right? And it was actually estimated to be only about two thousand actual physical person jobs because they're they're the way that they calculated it was in job hours. So that's how they tried to make it sound like it'd be so many. And then after the pipeline is done in the next year or so. Uh, a few dozen workers will yeah, be needed best, to maintain it. At best, 35 jobs. Other than that, it's a great day for American jobs, says Donald Trump. Uh, although, as with health care, he doesn't really seem to understand <laughs> what's going on with Keystone at all. He no. thinks they're going to start building it tomorrow and that this thing is going to be done the week after. Uh, he was joined in the Oval Office for uh, his announcement today by the uh, by the CEO of the uh, of TransCanada. And uh, well, listen to this, listen to this little exchange here. So the bottom line, Keystone finished, they're going to start construction when? Well, we got some work to do in Nebraska to get our permits there. So Nebraska. looking forward to working through I'll call that, Nebraska. the local. Uh, <laughs> you know why Nebraska is a great governor? They have a great governor. We've been working there for some time, and I, I do believe that uh, we'll get through that process, but uh, obviously have to engage with you know, local landowners, tribal communities. Uh, so we're reaching out to those over the, the, the coming months uh, to get the other necessary permits that we need, and then we look uh-huh. forward to start construction. Okay, I'm sure Nebraska will do good. Pete is a fantastic governor. He's done a great job, and I'll, I'll call him today. Yeah, Peter, the governor of Nebraska, he's got nothing to do with it. What happens now is that the Nebraska Public Service Commission is the one that's in control of approving that pipeline route across Nebraska. And he seemed to have when he said, uh, so so when's it going to be done? He seems to have no idea that there is still a fight ahead. He thinks he approved it and it's good to go and it's going to be done. We spoke yesterday with James Wilt of uh, uh, Desmog Blog Canada Canada on Thursday. You you can download that interview if you like for free anytime at bradblog.com. He talked essentially about three different broad reasons why Keystone XL still may not ever be completed among them, the folks up in Nebraska and other states who are who are still challenging the route. Oh, they yes. don't have 
a route through Nebraska that has been approved yet. They haven't gotten the approval from, I think it's 83 landowners in Nebraska alone who have refused to turn over the rights to take their land via eminent domain. So remember, this is a private foreign company using eminent domain to take the land of private land owned by Americans to for their private profit. For the private profit of a Canadian company. Of a company. Canadian company. So, yeah, between... Remember when uh, Donald Trump's favorite, uh, quote-unquote, news network, Fox News, uh, used to be furious about uh, eminent domain and yeah. about government doing that? They're remarkably quiet about it now. Looks like they forgot altogether. You know who led the charge against eminent domain over on Fox News? Sean Hannity. Oh, yes. D- Donald Trump's greatest supporters. I suspect he's not uh, talking much about that eminent domain issue these days. So there's a lot of uh, headwinds against the Keystone XL actually getting approved and through the courts. It's going to have a long court battle ahead of it, especially over this eminent domain issue. But Donald Trump seeing that uh, uh, health care uh, uh, bill going down in flames. I suspect he uh, called up TransCanada and said, get down here right now. I want to sign this. Uh, I want to sign this Keystone XL thing today. We're going to talk about jobs and maybe hopefully everyone will not notice that our promise to repeal and replace Obamacare has now, at least for now, gone down in flames. Speaking of flames, let's take a break and we'll come back with our latest green news report. (laughs) See how I did that there, Desi Doyen? I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Oh, what another, what a day, what another week. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, well, I guess let's uh, let's just get right to it then. Uh, Because, you know, if we don't, something else is going to change. Something else will break soon. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We are going to put our coal miners back to work. Trump promises to bring back coal jobs by dismantling Obama's climate policies. The world is moving swiftly away from coal, report finds. Flame-retardant chemicals found in the Great Lakes 
Wind energy hits another milestone in Europe. Plus... Flames and smoke filled the air. A scary sight no one expects to see the last day of winter. Across the entire country, wildfire season off to a ferocious early start. All of those early starts and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Clean call, right? Clean call. Right. Also, Trump steaks, Trump vodka, and Trump University. You Trump voters will buy anything, right? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Cole is back. Apparently Trump thinks so. Who knew? At a rally in Louisville, Kentucky on Monday, President Trump, without any details, claimed he could bring back U.S. coal mining jobs despite the decline in the use of coal. As we speak, we are preparing new executive actions to save our coal industry and to save our wonderful coal miners from continuing to be put out of work. The miners are coming back. The New York Times reports that any day now, President Trump is expected to sign a sweeping executive order dismantling President Obama's landmark climate policies, including ordering the Environmental Protection Agency to withdraw or rewrite the cornerstone of Obama's climate legacy, the Clean Power Plan, the first ever emission standards for U.S. power plants, plus a whole host of smaller but very crucial programs. More details once it's released, but the upshot is that these reversals of Obama's climate policy could make it virtually impossible for the U.S. to meet its target emissions reductions agreed to in the International United Nations Paris Agreement. These changes also may be virtually impossible to actually accomplish. There will be court challenges. It will take years to change many of these rules. Uh, we'll see if he's actually able to uh, to make these changes or if it goes as well as his travel ban, his health care policy and, and everything else. And so far, Trump's promises aren't enough to keep polluting coal plants in business. Ohio this week became the latest state to announce new coal-fired power plant closures. Residents living nearby will breathe easier. Dayton Power and Light announced on Monday it would shut down two coal plants in southern Ohio next year because burning coal for electricity is uneconomical now due to the glut of cheaper natural gas along with clean wind and solar energy. Has nobody explained that stuff to Donald Trump? I don't think he cares. Well, that may be true. And Trump's dismantling of Obama's climate policies won't bring back U.S. coal jobs because the decline of coal is global. In spite of Trump's push for coal, the rest of the world is moving rapidly in the opposite direction. According to the latest annual boom and bust report on the global coal supply chain released by a coalition of environmental groups this week, construction starts for new coal plants globally have dropped 62 percent over the last year. The biggest shift is in Asia, where both China and India have canceled or frozen plans to build 100 coal-fired power plants. That's why he hates China. Meanwhile, 2017 has already seen the earliest spring on record and the warmest ever start to the year on record in the United States. In addition to the record wildfires in Oklahoma and Kansas last week, the high temperatures have triggered an early and ferocious wildfire season across the country. Fires have now broken out from Washington state to Georgia, raising the possibility that the U.S. could be facing a record fire season. Normally in the U.S., by March, on average, wildfires have only burned about two 
200,000 acres. But this year, it's already hit more than 2 million. Mm, Man, really? 2 million? 2 million. Toxic flame retardant chemicals have been found in the Great Lakes for the first time in lake bed sediment and marine bird eggshells, according to a new study from the University of Illinois. Flame retardants used in children's clothing and furniture flake off and get swept into wastewater discharge that then gets dumped into the lakes, and it persists in the environment. And yet Donald Trump's budget proposal requires the EPA to cut the Great Lakes cleanup program by 97%. A perfect storm of pollution. But some good news. Take your time. In Europe, at least, wind energy is booming. Last week, wind energy generated one-fifth of Europe's electricity, 70% of Denmark's electricity, and more than half of the electricity used in Ireland and Germany. And despite Trump's efforts to roll back President Obama's climate policies, U.S. carbon emissions are at their lowest level since 1992. That's the lowest emissions in 25 years, even as economic growth nearly doubled over that same amount of time. Even as the hot air coming out of the White House alone has doubled since that time. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us widely on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We need to make our way each and every day. You need to vote and say, leave us moving forward. Uh, we're trying. We're working on it. We're trying. Do not, not easy. give up. Not easy these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Desi Doyen, any idea when uh, Obama, when uh, oh, Trump wish. is uh, supposed to uh, release his, uh, sign his ex- executive order that will just... Rip apart Obama's climate policies? Yeah. Yes. We don't have any specific date yet. It's a lot of back and forth. Who knows when it will be. But if he needs some more good news, the, he'll probably turn to that executive order. So I expect yeah. this could come as early as uh, as Quick, Monday. Create a diversion. Yes. You know? Look over there. Um, All right. Well, you know what? Let's just get the hell out. Uh, My thanks to our producer. Get out while the getting's good. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my guest today, Jackie Schechner. uh, And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated as ever. You can also drop us email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We'd also thank you for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do over your public airwaves whatever the hell it is we do five <laughs> days a week but over we your really public try hard airwaves. To do it. We do. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thanks to those of you who have stopped by there. Uh, okay, that is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Vive la resistance! <laughs> <laughs>